It is because just culturally, the world that we live in, we're not used to telling someone your way might not be the, the right way, or there is only one way, right? Like our culture just isn't used to that language, that idea. It's very uncomfortable. It's much easier to just say, oh, like you do you um, and you know whatever works for you works. Even if inside everyone is thinking, oh, my way is the right way, but no one really wants to say that. And so Welcome to the Stories from the Street. I'm Brian. Thanks for joining us today. In this podcast, my colleagues Beth and Bob sit down with Isaac Longworth. Isaac is a seminarian with the Companions to the Cross. Originally from Ontario, Canada, Isaac studies theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary and hopes to be ordained a priest in three years. He's active in the pro-life movement, hosts a weekly radio show on Radio Maria, teaching people how to evangelize, and helps run various evangelical-focused retreats with his brother seminarians. In his spare time, Isaac likes to play hockey, racquetball, volleyball, loves trying to ethnic foods, and is learning how to play the cajon guitar. I hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome to our podcast with Isaac and uh, Bob and me, Beth Sheely. I'm Associate Director of St. Paul Street Evangelization, and Bob is our director. And let me tell you about Isaac. He is a seminarian with the Companions of the Cross. It's a beautiful order. Uh, I love these guys from uh, from Canada, but all their seminarians come here because they go to school at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. And uh, Isaac is, so he's studying his theology there. He's very active in the pro-life movement. He has his own radio show that teaches about evangelization and he runs retreats and, and those kinds of things all around Canada and United States with his brother seminarians. But in his spare time, as you expect, he plays hockey because he's Canadian, right? And racquetball, volleyball, doing some musical things uh, with the guitar and the Cajun. Am I saying that right? It's Cajon. I don't know okay, what I don't you. know what what uh, background that comes from, but that's what it's called. Cajon. So. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but the companions are wonderfully musical. They do praise and worship like no other. I just it's a beautiful, beautiful order. So welcome, Isaac. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's great to see you guys again. It's been a while since I left Detroit. Isaac tells me there was a blizzard yesterday in Canada. So as much yeah. as <laughs> it's pretty stereotypical. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. So uh, maybe we could just start out with what, what it's like to be a seminarian at the Companions and just a little bit of background on the Companions and such. Can we just start with that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think being a seminarian is great. Uh, I have wanted to be a companion of the cross since I was nine years old. So that's a whole other story that maybe we can talk about. Uh, but I've always just really liked the companions of the cross. And the more that I did come and seize with them uh, and, and after joining, the more that I spent time with them, I realized that everything about their spirituality, uh, their mission to evangelize the brotherhood, uh, it just fit me like a glove. So I love being a companion of the cross. Um, and, and I am so happy to be in this path that I think God wants me to be on God willing to be a priest in three years. The life of a seminarian is, it can be boring at times and it can be exciting at times like any other life. So you mentioned some of the things that we do kind of evangelization retreats. And, and praise and worship. So we really love doing those because we get out and actually uh, interact with people and do the work of building the kingdom. But a lot of our life is pretty hidden. So we go to school, 
uh, at Sacred Heart in Detroit. So most of us are Canadian. I'm Canadian, uh, but we go to school in Detroit because it's a really good seminary there. And so we take classes there. And then in the house, one of the great things about being a companion of the cross is that we live in community. So we never live by ourselves. So I have a whole bunch of guys, seminarians, priests, deacons that I live with. And we get to pray with each other. <laughs> We're in the chapel at seven in the morning doing either rosary or praise and worship or mass. But we also like to hang out, play ping pong, uh, play hockey, just, you know, be normal guys and hang out with each other because, you know, the school, the ministry, the prayer, the brotherhood, all of that uh, goes into making us good and holy priests one day. So that's kind of what the life of a seminarian looks like. That's beautiful. I do love the fact that the companions must live in community. It's part of like your bylaws is my understanding. Yeah, we are not allowed to work uh, or live on our own. It's part of our vision that was passed on to us by our founder, Father Bob Bedard. He liked to say, before we can do anything, uh, we need to become something together. Um, mm -hmm. So we let, just like imitating Jesus and his disciples who lived in community and their ministry flowed out of that, we let our ministry of evangelization flow out of our shared life together. Did you know Father Bob? I never got to meet him. No, uh, he died before I joined the community, but uh, he met my parents, which was pretty cool. So oh. they told him about me wanting to be a companion one day. So, oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah, beautiful. So um, your background in direct evangelization, not just talking about evangelization, not just thinking about it and writing papers about it, but yeah. actually doing direct evangelization with, with people. Um, what kind of background do you have in that? So being a companion of the cross, we're supposed to be, no matter what we're doing, whether we're working in parishes, whether we're working in chaplaincies, our main objective, the whole reason that my community exists is to evangelize. And so we do that in a couple different ways. Um, I Actually, why don't I just read from our constitutions and rules, which is like basically the blueprint of how we're supposed to live our life. It says, as companions of the cross, we strive by our life and our ministry to exalt the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim Christ crucified, who is God's power and wisdom. We participate in the ongoing renewal of the church through a dynamic evangelization according to the spirit of our founder. So that's kind of like our mission that's, our, that's in our DNA. And so what that means is that everything that we do, all of our apostolates need to be lifting up Jesus Christ crucified for the world. And we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We realize we can't do it on our own. We have to actually let the Holy Spirit work through us. And so, like I said, we do a lot of evangelization retreats, uh, bringing in primarily Catholics, but also Christians from different denominations. We've even had non-baptized, uh, non-Christians come to some of our retreats and give their life to Jesus in kind of these more organized retreat fashions. Um, we teach schools of evangelization. So we teach uh, already evangelized Catholics, how to share their faith with people, much like what you guys did when you came to the seminary and taught us how to evangelize. And as part of the schools of evangelization that we run, we are supposed to take all the participants out to evangelize in the streets. So we pick a busy place. I'm um, in Detroit. We've been to campus marshes. We've gone to different shopping malls and marketplaces. And I was thinking as I was planning one of these schools of evangelization, man, I'm going to be taking people out onto the streets. Like I probably should know what I'm doing first. And so <laughs> right before I can teach anyone. So a group of us got together as seminarians and we're like, let's go, let's do this. And so we arranged a couple of spontaneous 
let's just go out and evangelize and see what happens. So we went to Ann Arbor in Michigan, uh, kind of uh, after sundown. So kind of, it's a college town for those of you who don't know. And so there's a lot of university students out hitting the bars, um, going and seeing different shows. So we went there, the sidewalks were packed, a lot of amazing stories there. Um, evangelizing at Campus Martius, um, like I said, downtown busy Detroit, evangelizing in malls. So that was kind of the background that I had, not very extensive at all by the time that I had come to one of your uh, training sessions. Yes, Bob and I have been doing the training at uh, Sacred Heart Major Seminary and the different seminarians that come, they come from many different dioceses and a number of different orders. And Bob, what do you think? It's, uh, it's, it's not all the same. Yeah, totally. It's everybody's different. Everybody has their own gifts. You know, some guys are more pastoral. Some guys are more apologetic. Some guys are more gospel pro proclaiming. A lot of guys like to listen. So yeah, you can pick up all kinds of skills and everybody has their own, you know, gifts. Yeah, it's, it's great when we will do um, little exercises in the class. When we get a companion in there, we know they've been on the street. They've, they've done this already. And Isaac was in my group. We went to Wayne State University and I was only able to go there one time. But you guys went about four or five times before the pandemic hit. I, th I think we went five times before Corona hit and then we weren't able to go to the campuses anymore. But still with, with being there, I think we were there for about two, two and a half hours each time you can interact with a lot of people in that amount of time, so, which we did. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we had, it, you had it set up, like you had a certain space to, to evangelize, but sometimes that space wasn't available. You just had to like make it work. Right. Yeah. What, like when you're evangelizing, like prepare yourself for anything to happen, which I'm sure you guys have seen, like you have no idea. So sometimes we'd show up and we'd booked a table, but um, everyone else in the university is trying to book a table as well. And so sometimes they just <laughs> take a table that wasn't theirs. And uh, so we would sometimes just have to move around and be adaptable and set up in a different hallway and set up in the cafeteria. Um, so you kind of do what you got to do. You meet people where you're at and the gospel goes forth, whatever happens. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's why prayer is so important. It's like, you don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be in tune to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, give me who you want to give me and soften their hearts. And yeah, that's why prayer is such an essential part. We always have to adapt and overcome, but it's exciting, right? It is. It's kind of like you're on mission, right? And uh, when you're on mission, you're not sure what's going to happen all the time, but you know, it's going to be good, even if they're setbacks. Right. I heard you talk. I heard you had some good conversations with Muslims. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I actually, the majority of the people that I talked with at Wayne State were Muslims. Really awesome. Like, I loved them. They were great. A couple different ones came and they were all, they're all different, right? Because sometimes we can categorize people from different religions as like, well, of course they believe this. Just like people sometimes categorize Catholics, right? Of course they believe this. But it's really good to just talk with them first, get to know them a little bit and see what they think about faith, what they think about God. And um the very first uh, Muslim guy that I talked with uh, was named Muhammad. And he said that he came over to our table and I said, Hey, like we're asking people's opinion about Jesus. Like, what do you think about him? And he had a lot to say about Jesus because Jesus is very important for Muslims. Um, they don't think he's God as, as I'm sure, you know, but they do think that he's a prophet of Allah. And so he started to tell me about what he thought about Jesus and uh, I started to talk to him about, do you think Jesus is God? Trying to get more into that vein so that I could share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with him. 
And man, this guy knew his stuff. He had a Quran on him. He knew his apologetics. He was very like intense about it, but very friendly, but he like, he knew his stuff. And so we talked about the authenticity of the gospels. You know, we talked about the Trinity and how confusing it was. We talked about Mary. We talked about God as father, all this stuff, all these apologetics. And we closed talking about the divinity of Jesus. And he said, well, Jesus never said that he was God ever. And I said, well, hold on a second. Let me read something to you. So I opened up to Revelations chapter one, and I don't remember the exact verse. I think maybe it's 13, but basically it's Jesus speaking. And he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. Um, But I only read that half of the verse first. And I said, this guy is saying, I am the first and the last, the alpha, and the omega. Who do you think that sounds like? And he said, well, that's God for sure. God is the first and the last. That's who he is. And I said, okay, well, let's read the second half of the verse. And it said, he who was dead and is now alive. And I said, well, who does that sound like? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. He's like, because God doesn't die. <laughs> and I said, you're right. Like God doesn't die. But what if Jesus was God? And he died and came to life. Doesn't it sound like he's saying that he's the first and the last? And he was like, well, it sounds like he's saying that, but I don't, I don't know what to do with that. So, and it kind of came to a standstill, the conversation. And I wanted to move past just debating apologetics, debating arguments with him, right? Because he was a really good guy. And so I asked him, hey, like, have you ever asked God, you know, if you're real, show yourself to me, reveal yourself to me. And he said, yes, I have. He said, I've asked God 17 different times, if you're real, show me. And every single time, I think that Islam is real. And I said, I I didn't want to cite the Bible verse, but from Matthew chapter seven, where it says, uh, he who seeks will find he who knocks, the door will be open. I was like, man, you are searching for God. Like, honestly, not a lot of people on university campuses are asking God 17 different times, reveal yourself to me, speak your truth to me. So I was like, you're, you're really pressing in for God. And I'm like, and I believe you that you're going to find him, but I couldn't resist. And I was like, and I believe that you're going to find out that it's Jesus, that Jesus is God. And, um, I I started to tell him about how Muslims all over the world are having Jesus appear to them, especially in in places where there aren't uh, Christian evangelists, there aren't able to speak to them because the government is so um, against the church there. But Muslims are having visions of Jesus in their dreams. And I said, man, I'm praying that that happens to you, that if you keep searching after God and asking him to reveal himself, that he will. And uh, he gave me something to read about Islam, the life of Muhammad. I gave him some pamphlets to read about Jesus and the gospel. And we both agreed uh, to, to read them. And as he was parting, he just shook my hand. And he said, this has been a great conversation. Like we're, we're brothers in this. Uh, we're both searching for God. And, and I really feel like I'm not a project that you've just, we've been talking about these really important things. So it was an awesome conversation and it really got me fired up for the rest of the week. Wow, that's a great testimony for your evangelization skills. And what you brought up was so important. I had the same uh, attitude, like I'm going out there and I know what they believe. They're Muslims. I I took a little, you know, I did a little Google search. I got some pillars. (laughs) But then I talked to two guys and they were like totally different. One guy said, yeah, eventually everybody gets out of hell. And I was hearing things like this and I'm like, hold on, I got to rethink this. And so that's why our method is so important. We, We take the time to listen and befriend. And it sounds like you did that beautifully. Yeah. Your advice was so good. Yeah. It's like, you got to listen first. 
One of the things that um, Bob teaches something is don't ever uh, mistake a label for a story. story. You got to hear their story. That was great. And just that you found other young people on campus searching for God and you could, you could pull that beautiful, you know, common ground there that you're both searching and the encounter wasn't adversarial. No, like we were definitely arguing with each other. We were both passionate, but it wasn't like we were fighting with each other. Like it was everything a debate should be. And I think it's because both of you were open for the, and searching, you know, like you're both open to listening to the other person is where, how can I understand where, where this actual person is very authentic and not, not pushing an agenda, but, but, Mm -hmm. but inquiring and seeking and that kind of thing. Yeah. Cause you can tell the difference when someone is closed off, like nothing is going to happen if they don't, it's a two way street. Right. And it just worked out really good with this guy. Yeah. That's why finding common ground is so important. You can sit there and celebrate those things you have in common and that brings down those defenses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were still challenging. Like you didn't just say, okay, you can think what you want and I think what I want and we're fine. You were like, you can think what you want, but how about this? And you accepted mm-hmm. his his stuff and you gave him something. So challenging. I know you had another story that talked about how you challenged um, another person. And it was, I think that's that's a hard thing for evangelists to do, to, to go that extra step to challenge them to move closer to God in some way. It is because just culturally, the world that we live in, we're not used to telling someone your way might not be the the right way, or there is only one way, right? Like our culture just isn't used to that language, that idea. It's very uncomfortable. It's much easier to just say, oh, like you do you um, and, you know, whatever works for you works. Even if inside everyone is thinking, oh, my way is the right way, but no one really wants to say that. And so um, I met this guy. uh, He was from, I don't remember what, some kind of European Orthodox background, so a Christian background for sure. But uh, I asked him the same question, what's your opinion on Jesus? Um, because I found that that it worked. Like people like to give their opinions on things. And Jesus is a very um, interesting historical figure. No matter what you think about him, everyone has something to think about him. And so uh, I found it was a great conversation starter. So I asked him that. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm whatever whatever Orthodox church he belonged to. And I said, Oh, so, so you believe Jesus is God. And he's like, well, I'm not too sure about that. So I'm like, okay, well, here we go. So he had been raised Christian, but if he didn't know who Jesus was, like it's a very common, common problem. And so we started to chat about things and, and I was trying to show him that Jesus had proved that he was who he said he was because of his resurrection, that it was the greatest miracle that had ever happened. And he didn't really believe that the resurrection actually happened. He kind of believed Jesus was a good guy, uh, taught some nice things, but uh, not very relevant to where we were nowadays. And so I was trying to show him that he couldn't be a good guy and say that he was God because then he'd be either lying or he'd be crazy. Um, And so I was trying to show him also that through the resurrection, he had proven who he was and when he didn't believe in the resurrection, I thought, well, what if I tell him a miracle that happened nowadays? Like that might maybe make the the leap from the past to Jesus still does miracles now. So I told him about 
a time when I had been street evangelizing um, and I had met someone who had dislocated his shoulder because he was sleepwalking and he had fallen down a flight of stairs while he was sleepwalking, which is a really bizarre story. So he dislocated his shoulder and I said, I was, I prayed with him that in the name of Jesus, his shoulder would be put back into place. And it was. So he, he took his cast off. He started testing it out. It was completely healed. He put it, he was at, he was at a university campus as well. He put his um, backpack full of textbook on his shoulder, kind of the classic university, like test for miracles, I guess, and bounced it around. <laughs> a little. He's like, yeah, it's, it's completely healed. So I'm sharing this Praise story God. with this guy just to kind of tell him like, you know, Jesus is alive. He's risen. He still heals. And I could just see his, like, he didn't really know what to make of it. Um, maybe he thought I was lying, but uh, I don't know. And uh, he was just like, oh, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. And then again, the conversation kind of came to a standstill and I was like, oh, I hope I didn't scare him off or anything. Um, but I was like, well, the conversation is going to fade away if, if nothing happens here. So I just said, look, uh, I know that you might not be convinced about Jesus, but there's a lot of really a lot smarter people than me that have written a lot of stuff. And I kind of pointed them in some directions. I was like, do your own research. Like, you know, this is a really important thing. This has eternal significance. Uh, we, we really need to figure out who Jesus is um, before we just go through our life. And he said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll look into it, but not now. I, I'm too busy with school. Like once I've gotten my degree in three years, I'll, I'll look into Jesus. And everything in me was like, okay, just end there and be like, all right, that's good. Cause at least it's a step in the right direction, but I've been trying to work on being more bold. And, and I think people can sometimes take more boldness than they, than they can, than they think that they can. So I just said, well, you know, that's good. It's better than not doing it, but every day is a gift. We don't know how long we have on this world. And three years is a long time. And, and, you know, you forget and things happen. I said, now is the time, like, look for God now, search for him now, look into this now, because it's really important. And it, it really shouldn't be delayed. And he took it really well. Like he didn't, he didn't say, you know, get out of my face or what's wrong with you. I told you I would look him up or, or any of the things that I had imagined in my head, he would say to me, uh, he just was like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I think I'm going to look into him now. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my, talk to my priest. And I pointed him out to the chaplaincy at Wayne state and said, there's priests there that can help you out. And, and he left. So I have no idea what he does with that. That's up to him now because, you know, people can choose to leave or they can choose to stay, but it's in his hands now. And at least someone has told him, you know, go for it now, look for Jesus now before it's too late. Oh, I love that. I love the fact because it's so true when you're evangelizing, you see the conversation going and then it might kind of wane a little bit and you're like, okay, we can just have a gentle um, exit right now. Um, but the boldness that you show, it's like, okay, I got to I didn't get all the way to the proclamation. I, 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 I think he's standing here. He's not rushing off. I don't want to let this one go. And um, I've learned that it's like the Holy Spirit is working in the conversation as you're having it. The Holy Spirit is softening the heart of the person you're speaking with. He's, he's giving you ideas. This is Pope Benedict has a beautiful quote about it, giving you the things to say, and you don't want to miss that opportunity. You want to strike while the, while the iron's hot, as they say, and um, don't 
you could have the same, say the same words a week later and it wouldn't have the same impact because the Holy Spirit has mm-hmm. softened that heart. I just give you great, um, you know, I think it's wonderful that you kept the conversation going and, you know, ask the Holy Spirit, what's the next step? I, and the challenging for today's the time. What do you think of that one, Bob? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it is awesome. And, it, you know, we oftentimes we're out there evangelizing and we get that tinge. I should press it. That's from the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times we're like, no, 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 no. But I think you should, we should go off, go with it more often. We've prayed. We have the guy right there. There's nothing wrong with a little boldness. We can't be afraid of a little boldness. So I'm really impressed. Yeah, that's great. And it always depends on the person too, right? Because sometimes a person like already talking with you about Jesus is already a huge ask for them. But yeah, for some reason, he, even though the conversation had come to a standstill, he was still there kind of shuffling his feet, looking at me. And I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You pick up a lot by the body language. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, that, that's great because God's working in and through all of those encounters. He's, he's always a part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about evangelizing young people, evangelizing university students. I mean, you're a university student yourself. Um, if there's something in particular that um, to keep in mind when you're talking to younger people. Yeah, the, the whole idea of evangelizing on a university campus was very different from the street evangelizing that I had done in, say, a mall or a, um, a sidewalk. But in many ways, it was similar. So one of the key differences is that um, when we went as seminarians, we didn't have resources but thanks to St. Paul Street Evangelization team, we had a whole table set up with signs and rosaries and medals. And, and it, was, it was definitely, you could see it. And so sometimes when you go up to someone on the street and just say, hey, how's it going? And you try and start a conversation with them, they could misread your intentions completely. Like, for instance, once um, we were street evangelizing again in Ann Arbor and uh a seminarian and I walk up to this group of, of girls. They were all about our age. They were all heading, they were all dressed up. They were going to go out to a club or something. I'm not sure. And um, I just said, Hey, like, can we talk to you for a second? And I was going to, you know, talk to them about Jesus, hopefully, but they completely misread our uh, intentions. And they were like, Nope, we don't want to date you. Like whatever, get out of our face. And we're like, no, 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 no. And it just became this, like, we're trying to fumble over ourselves. They're like, get out of our face. And then we just had to laugh after they left. Like, well, that was kind of a fail. Um, That's but so funny, you, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. But when you're at St. When you're um, at Wayne state, for instance, with the table and you walk up to someone and say, Hey, I'm the Jesus statue, uh, you know, the rosaries, like they know why you're there. They may not know everything, but they at least know, okay, these are Catholics. They want to talk to us about Jesus. So that was really helpful to have. Um, and I found that university students, uh, they were they were more extreme. Like if they rejected you, they rejected you. And if they wanted to talk to you, they would talk, they would engage you more. Um, like I was amazed at how many people I would say, hey, how's it going? And they would like glare at me or not even look at me and walk by. And I was like, that was not how I was raised. Like, like <laughs> this is just weird behavior to me. Um, you know, even if you don't want a rosary, like at least say hi back or something. Or, uh, you know, I was talking with, an, again, another Muslim student. She was getting a rosary from me because she wanted to, to use it for an art project. She was saying she was doing a project on Christianity. And one of her friends who wasn't Muslim came up and completely interrupted the conversation, like stepped in between us. 
started talking with her and then very dismissively kind of waved his hand at us and was like, and when, when you're done with all this Jesus stuff, like, I don't even know why you're here, but when you're done with it, like come this way. And I was like, wow, okay. Like this is, uh, this is intense. And it was kind of a, a an intense moment, but, uh, but then on the flip side, when they wanted to engage, I found that um, they talked a lot more than the average person I met on a sidewalk. And I wonder if it's maybe because, you know, they're just stepping out, maybe they've left home for the first time. They're kind of finding out who they are at university is a very big time for that. And maybe they're a little like they want to be treated like an adult. They want to talk about serious things and have their opinions heard and 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 kind of frame their own worldview. So there was kind of both extremes with university students. I think that's a, that's a good point. They're at a time in their life they're trying to figure it out. And mo- and many times, you know, you raise Catholic. Maybe it's really strict Catholic. Maybe it's not. But you've always gone to church because you had to, and you never had the option. Do I want to? You know, they just always automatically did. So now they find themselves in university and they're like, I got to make it my own. And sometimes I think those are doubts. Like, is this just what my mom said or is it really true? But those doubts quite often are God saying, come, come. I want you on your own. I want you for you. Not just because your mom said, I want you. And and the the doubts can kind of confuse them, but it's really God calling them on their own terms. Yeah. And that was one thing that stayed consistent, whether you're talking to university students or whether you're talking to, you know, an 85 year old woman in a marketplace uh, across generational lines, across cultures, every single human being is experiencing that call from God to come to himself, right? There, there's that emptiness in every human heart that only Jesus can satisfy. And so when you present the message of the gospel, whether it's on a university campus or, or out on the street or, or in your family or wherever, there's that call from God that the person has the free will to reject or to come closer to. And so that was one thing that I think stayed the same, that there were some students that you could tell were open to God. And there were some students that for now are, are closed off. And that's just the mystery of it all, like how that works. But but that was one thing that I think remained consistent, whether you're speaking to university students, high school students, or, or anyone else, really. And Bob's done a lot of, of university evangelization with the, the different teams over the years. You finding the same thing, Bob? Yeah, I'm surprised at how little, you know, these college kids know. So that's, you know, I'm always the, a big, the truth will set you free kind of guy. So, you know, I remember we told one guy, was Catholic his whole life that Jesus was, it was a literal Jesus in the Eucharist. And he was just looking at me like, how come nobody ever told me that? And so I just love bringing up those great nuggets of our faith. And they're just so blown away. It's just so, so sad. And so exhilarating at the same time for us to, to be able to instill that knowledge and that beautiful glory of the mass into kids. Yeah, absolutely. We have the best answer, the best everything that we're giving to people when we evangelize. You know, it's not like, well, here's this one little tidbit in case you might want to know it. It's like, this is what you're made for. Exactly. It's like, this is Jesus. If you only knew how great he was like, yeah. Yeah. That's one of my biggest frustrations is I can't always 
figure out the way to articulate it to reach the heart of the person in front of me. And I'm just like, oh, what, what, what is the end? How can, I, how can I let them know how beautiful this is? And if you can, I think Isaac, you even told me that um, sharing just that you have a relationship with a real person, Jesus, with excitement has an impact. Yeah, there was, uh, again, an, another Muslim girl. Uh, her name was Aisha. And uh, she stood out to me because she had this giant Mickey Mouse shirt on. Um, and I knew that she was Muslim because she had a hijab on. And so she was walking by and I started a conversation with her. And I didn't use my catchphrase like, you know, what's your opinion about Jesus? I just went straight for the Mickey Mouse shirt. I'm like, hey, uh, like nice Mickey Mouse shirt. And she was because obviously if you're wearing a shirt that has a giant Mickey Mouse on it, like you want people to know that you love Disney. And so she, her face lit up. She was like, oh, I, like, I love Disney. And she's talking to me. And, and uh, she's like, what are you doing here? And uh, I said, well, we're telling people about Jesus and sharing our Catholic faith with them. And she said, oh, like, I would love to stay and talk because I, I find these conversations so interesting. She said, unfortunately, I have a work study that I have to get to. And uh, I said, oh, that, that's too bad. But and I knew she had to go quickly. Um, but I was like, well, I'll just do like a little 30 second spiel so she has something to think about as she's walking to her work study i was like yeah you're right it is really important that we talk about these things that we talk about god and i was like and i just want to let you know that the reason we're out here sharing is because jesus has radically transformed my life like he has changed my life he's everything to me and i would not be who i am without him and and i just hope that enough people can meet him as well. That's why we're out here, you know, looking like fools out here on the hallway because we just want people to know him. And she kind of stopped and looked back at me and her eyebrows kind of went up a little quizzically. And she said, wow, this, this is really important to you, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's very important. And I kind of shared a little bit more about why it was important. Again, keeping it quick because I, I, you want to respect people's time. Um, but I was like, you know, keeping it quick, I was like, you know, there's eternal significance and Jesus says he is the way. And so I just, I want to take as many people to heaven with me as, as I can. And, and that's through Jesus. And she said, huh, that, that is really interesting. And she's like, can I have a pamphlet on him? And I'm like, yep, absolutely. So I gave her something on Jesus and she left. So we, we barely talked, but it was just being able to like with your, with your arms, with your face, just let your like let the heart that you have to have them meet Jesus just kind of burst out, and um, it made an impact on her. And I hope she reads it. And if not, she at least met a Christian who is excited about the faith. And when people are excited about something, it makes you at least curious about it. And if I can just spark some curiosity about Jesus that she finds him later one day, that's good enough for me. Just like a two minute conversation can change somebody's life. I love the yeah, fact that she's know. wearing Mickey Mouse like this is what I'm about. And you're wearing Jesus even bigger, even bolder for her. You know, it I just get a can't Jesus stay t-shirt. contained. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bob does that with his T-shirts, his big Catholic T-shirt. They're awesome. They're awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do the work for me pretty much. Well, we're about, it's about time to close out. Bob, do you have any final words of exhortation or comments for, for our audience here? Um, just be bold like Isaac, you know, if Jesus is the most important thing in your life, and it should be, you got to let that shine through, wear Jesus on your sleeve, or get a nice shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so important for us to, to make people aware 
of uh, how important Jesus is to us. And that's, that's half the battle. I mean, that's going to bring people in. So just let your joy show and God will work with that even. So just a little, just a little step and God's going to use you. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. How about you, Isaac? Any last, last words? Uh, I guess one of my last words would just be what I always say is like, you don't have to be super smart. You don't have to know all of your arguments. Uh, just share Jesus with people. Like everywhere you go, uh, just bring Jesus with you. It doesn't have to be long conversations about apologetics. It can be, I mean, we need to equip ourselves, but, but just being authentically Catholic, living out your faith. Um, and if people trust you and they know that you're trustworthy, like I said, you'll just plant that seed of curiosity in people that they're saying something is different about him. Something's different about her. And I don't know, I, I want what they have. And if we can do that, that's already leading people to Jesus. So yeah, try and bring as many people into heaven with you as you can. Oh, I love that. That's great. Well, thank you all for um, listening and sticking with us um, for this podcast. Remember, we're St. Paul Street Evangelization, where we're train, we train, equip, and mobilize Catholics for the urgent work of evangelization. That's what we do. So check us out, streetevangelization.com. You can check out the Companions of the Cross on the website, too. I don't know what their website is. Companions, companionscross.org. Yeah, if there's, any, uh, if there's any young guys out there that are discerning vocations to the priesthood, uh, I'd love to call you a brother one day. If you ever feel this call, like the Lord wants you to be a priest, but a priest focused on the new evangelization, uh, why not try us out and um, see if it's what God is calling you to do? Because God is calling all of us to evangelize in different ways, whether we're men, women, married, single, priests, nuns. Um, but find the place where God wants you to be. I think I found it with the Companions of the Cross. And wherever that is, just... Yeah, share Jesus. Great. Well, thank you. Again, streetevangelization.com. You can say get involved and get more involved. We'll see you later, everybody. God bless. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good to see you again. Yeah. Bye, Isaac.